I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Happy Friday. Time to look back at the last seven days and make sense of the biggest local and statewide stories in our weekly news recap. Tonight, Chicago taxpayers are on the hook for $25 million to settle lawsuits against Chicago police. Place your bets. The city's first casino officially opened its doors on Saturday. Chicago City Council voted to spend even more money to deal with the migrant crisis. The city alderman agreeing to throw in an additional $34.5 million. A projected $538 million budget shortfall is the newest challenge for the Johnson administration. Here to talk about those stories, Carrie Shepard, Chicago reporter with Axios and Ray Long, Chicago Tribune investigative reporter. Now this week, Brandon Johnson did something that many other new mayors have done in Chicago. He announced the city's budget gap is much worse than expected. Carrie, what did he say? Well, I think a lot of that was uh, this, you know, I just, I inherited, which is something politicians often like to say mm-hmm. in their first term is that they inherited this mess. But also, you know, he did, uh, the mayor did make a point to say that the the budget gap will likely grow because of new arrivals that he expects to cost, aka migrants that have been coming to the city. Um, he he did make a point, and I know that his chief of staff, uh, I believe it's her title, Christian, Christian Christina. Um, Pas- yes, exactly. Uh, she has said that the Lightfoot administration was like spending an exorbitant amount on just like staffing for the migrants. Um, so, yeah, he he said this is probably going to grow, but it does. Um, but yeah, he so but basically he's saying, you know, this kind of came with the territory when mm-hmm. I took the job. Ray, were you shocked to hear that the, the budget gap is much more than what Lightfoot expected? <laughs> You mean Johnson? No. no. Oh, like, well, well, like projected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I was not shocked. I mean, this is kind of a, the playbook of a new administration to say, hey, there is a, a much worse situation than we thought it was. You know what? We may need to raise some taxes or take some other measures that are uh, not going to be the most friendly, but uh, we have to do it because the prior administration screwed up. That's kind of... Uh, you know, opening 101 playbook for new administrations. There are real money concerns, though, with the migrant situation. Mm -hmm. But um, this is something that they should be all over and should have been all over from day one, and they're still lagging behind on that. Even though they're making strides, they still are acting like this is something that, wow, we really got to get a a grip on. And... uh, who knew it was going to be this big? Well, it's a welcoming city, and if you bring more people into Chicago, you bring more dollars in for schools, you bring more dollars in for from the federal government, and you have a chance, if you bring enough people in, to increase your representation in both Springfield and Washington. Mm. Well, how did the migrants factor into the budget shortfall, Carrie? Um, I don't have a, let me see here. I don't have an exact number. I mean, in terms of, in terms of dollar amount, yeah, I know or it was about 200 terms... million of that $538 million. So what I'm hearing folks is about a third, right? Right. Uh, of this deficit is, is really pointing back to migrant housing. And the and council just voted. Um, there was just a city council meeting yesterday and they 
voted for um, more dollars. You know, some, all, not all did. There were your regulars who um, do not agree that with Chicago being a sanctuary city. Some of the more conservative caucus of, mm-hmm. of city council who did not want any more money um, to address this problem, which seems a bit like a catch-22 catch because not taking more money from the feds is just going to put more of that burden on us, the taxpayers. Yeah. Well, I mean, what does this budget gap mean, Ray, for some of the progressive policies that Mayor Johnson promised? Well, I think he has to, uh, you know, weigh a lot of those priorities against the balance sheet. And as a result, he may have to scale back some of uh, the dreams he had for um, his overall agenda. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do think that um, he is taking, you know, one thing he is doing is is taking a a structural, uh, well-planned approach. At least that's what they're saying, that Mm -hmm. they're not jumping at everything and doing knee-jerk reactions. They're actually trying to work things out. Uh, We'll see if that is true, but it is uh, um, a mess in the meantime. Yeah. Well, uh, one way that the mayor's hoping to eliminate some of this budget gap is through revenue from the city's first casino. Uh, there were about 100 people, Carrie, standing in line last Saturday morning to get in. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think um, our colleague on the Sun-Times, Mitchell, told me that the six. I think he reported uh, 6.30 a.m. was the first, the first, the first person, person showed up. to go in. And I was part of the uh, group of media who got a preview a few days before. We had to surrender our uh, cell phone and not take any pictures and reveal anything. And that was the Wednesday before it opened on Saturday. And then there were to be two days of testing the machines and Mm -hmm. getting the clearance from the Illinois Gaming Board, which no surprise really that they did get the clearance to open last Saturday. Yeah. Well, I mean, did it seem to you like the casino from there, from Saturday, got a lot of visitors throughout the week? I don't have the exact numbers. I'm actually still trying to report that out because my colleagues and I went uh, last week and we sort of each took a part of you know, what the experience would be. And I was really paying attention to what security is like. Um, you know, there was, I. they say, you know, Bally says this is unrelated. There was a man who was shot out in River North um, the first night, first, you know, early morning after the casino opened. Yeah. They say that was com- that was completely unrelated. When we were there on a Tuesday, uh, there were about six cops out front waiting. There are um, securities obviously everywhere. It's a casino. Anyone who's been in a casino knows there's cameras everywhere. Of course, yeah. Um, and, you know, it was a very mild, chill crowd. I think they're still uh, working out some of the kinks Mm -hmm. uh the dealers are some of are a little new a little green you know they that was something bally's has been touting as they did this dealer school they teamed up with city colleges they trained you know hundreds of people um we talked to one woman who said she came to work at bally's in chicago she came from horseshoe in indiana uh one of the benefits seeing that you know as you guys may know, in Indiana, you can still smoke. She was sick of that um, being, par- you know, part of her daily job. So she came over to work at the Valley. It be Chicago. different here, for sure. Uh, what does the mayor intend to use this gambling revenue for? Well, so the basically, you know, what we I don't think we know really what the mayor, correct me, Ray, if I'm wrong, what he's going to use it for. Right now they have. He's this, mentioned pensions. Yeah, well, he has. That was or Lightfoot. Police and yeah, fire. police and fire is the goal. Um, light, that was part of Lightfoot's uh, selling this deal and, and getting this. Um, 
I mean, any sort of revenue they're going to make is not even going to. I mean, our our police and fire, our pensions are woefully underfunded. So um, some might say it's not even going to make a dent in it. Uh, this is a two-year deal with the at Medina, um, which is privately owned, the Medina Temple in River North. They have the opportunity to extend it one more year, um, maybe with the idea that the permanent one at the Tribune Printing Plant in River West is not um, yeah. finished yet. But the goal is, I think, to get into that permanent space. Right. Well, to that point, Ray, we know construction delays are pretty common, especially was such a massive project. So, I mean, could you see this temporary casino being here for more than just those two years that Carrie just mentioned? Oh, absolutely. And if it keeps going well, they may just think, well, you know, we'll leave it going as a side show. Why not have two? Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. And then, uh, and people might go for that too. So I think that uh, it's, it's been popular so far. I had a buddy who was in that line at 8 a.m. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. What did he say? Well, he liked it. He checked it all out. He Played a little bit and and uh, got out, but he he said uh, it was a, a good place and he enjoyed it. And but you know he's a gambler it, it too, so uh, that's not thing. every yeah that, that's one of those things for sure. And um, I did notice myself that there's more of a police presence around around there. It's not mm-hmm. just out in front of the building, but it's around in the various streets outside where they get the lights flashing. Even in the daytime, they have cops out. So um, they are trying to minimize any kind of disruptions that there might be there. So that's a that's a yeah. plus. I mean, let's remember, this was that part of the goal and sort of the selling of getting a Chicago c- uh, casino since, you know, Mayor Daly has been like, we're giving all this money to the suburbs, the river boats there and in Indiana, bring those people here instead. And just on the Tuesday we were there, it was, it looked to be maybe some business folks who came after work. It looked to be tourists. It did seem to be, you know, a wide range of folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that. I mean, tourism in the the surrounding stores on Michigan Avenue, where we already know that retail vacancies there are still hovering around 30%, Ray. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, there was a lot of kind of fear and, and uh, a lot of these uh, stores pulled out uh, because of questions about whether or not we could keep everything under control here in Chicago. And uh, I think a lot of that anger, um, part of it was uh, generated by George Floyd and other terrible incidents around the, the country, has somewhat uh, quelled. But um, there are, you know, historical notes about that. Why did it take so long to get this casino in in Chicago when they were all over in the suburbs. And one of the reasons was because Rich Daly was in his early two-year term as mayor, said he didn't want it. He had just been a state's attorney. It wasn't popular or he didn't want to take a risk. And then once the others got in, it was almost impossible for him to uh, get it back get uh, Chicago in. I, I can remember standing, watching him in 1991 at City Hall, and he said, you know, reality. That was, as you recall, a, a recession period. So they thought, well, we'll get our casino in here, and that'll uh, juice things up again. But okay. the other riverboats fought it, fought it, fought it, and uh, now we're just getting through. Mm-hmm. All right, City Council has been busy. Let's quickly just go through a few things that they voted on yesterday. First, Alderman approved one of the largest police settlements in years. What are the details, Carrie? Yeah, $25 million, I believe, um, was it, I think, all but a few voted for that. 
Um, these are this is nothing new that we've seen in with Chicago um, trying to right the wrongs, the many past wrongs of, uh, of policing that has coerced confessions. Um, you know, after wrongfully convicted, wrongfully folks. convicted folks. Um, John Burge is a name we hear often. These were a couple cops that had other complaints about them dating back to. Uh, I think this was a shooting in the early 90s of, you know, an IIT, IIT student who was also a basketball player. So, um, you know, Johnson was was clear in saying, you know, this is what these people are owed. We need to start, you know, we we need to fix the wrongs that, you know, have are the, in the past mm-hmm. that some of these police have participated in. Um I think the argument from some of the aldermen who voted against it is they thought it was too high. Uh, it is the highest, I think, this year, if I recall. Um, but we've seen these. And the city's law department makes it. They, the argument they make over and over on these is you want to settle because if you go to court, it's going to cost the taxpayer even more, um, which is something you hear in all types of litigation. Right. You want to settle. It's going to it, that's going right. to be easier for everyone. So and there's that, always the question of what it looks like. What what's the message that's being sent when you do settle? Sure, right. Sure. What are you saying? I mean, I think you. I think often when you settle, people are assuming you're accepting wrong and culpability. Right. So you know what you'll see in a lot of big class action lawsuits, for example, is they'll settle, but they'll say this is not an admission of wrongdoing. Correct. Uh, City Council approved allocating millions in federal funds to migrant shelters and services. What can you tell us about that, Carrie? Yeah, I mean, this is the the issue that's going. We're we started talking about it, and we're going to keep talking about it. Um, the mayor last week, we heard actually the mayor, I I heard at least I think probably like many of us from Fran Spielman at the Sun Times, yes. <laughs> and then when I went to confirm those details, uh, there seemed to be a little confusion um, maybe in the mayor's office of you know where that. But now we are. Uh, my colleague is going to be getting that plan from the mayor's office. But we heard about these um, tents. They're, they're calling them something else now, but obviously tents. These migrant tents, weatherized tents, is what it was. Um, and this is what we've seen with the temporary shelters as well, is that a lot of neighborhoods and communities are like, I don't want it. I don't want them in my neighborhood. You often, you're seeing these, um, seeing that reaction in disinvested communities on the South and West side who are saying sort of, you know, we need this, we need these resources. We need this money. Um, I don't think it's an either or obviously conversation. This is becoming a huge humanitarian crisis. Um, the mayor, you know, Brandon Johnson said he's looking to what Eric Adams in New York is doing. Um, so this is meant to go to some of that shelter, some, you know, food, all of the things that just cost yeah. the house, you know, thousands of people. It's been more than, what, 13,000 migrants that have arrived since last year. So many. Yeah. In, in the little over a year's time. Anything else happened at uh, City Council, Ray, that you think our listeners have to know before we take this pause here? Well, I just think that the, the migrant issue has uh, overwhelmed uh, the city in ways that uh, they couldn't comprehend. And, you know, we've had 13,000 here in Chicago, but we've seen 100,000 go into New York, too. So maybe they can get a few cues from what's happening in New York. But Tents are not just the answer. They're a, a minor uh, piece of the puzzle that can be kind of a, a, a halfway point to help them get better lives and get settled here in Chicago. 
We should note, too, in um, at council, Sasha, you said anything else happened. Is that bring Chicago home? Is this huge? Uh, the, yeah, yes. the mayor introduced huge that. Huge priority for Johnson. Huge priority. Um, really, it, yeah, this is part of the finally they introduced this ordinance, and this is addressing homelessness in the city. But this also, um, for the everyday person that's probably obviously concerned with the issue of homelessness in our city, but... This affects the real estate transfer tax. Um, this was being dubbed the millionaire's tax early on. This was that, you know, you would be taxed if you were um, selling a home for a million or more. The transfer tax, you would be charged more than if you had a home for, um, le- if you were transferring a home for less than a million. He has since shifted on that, and it's a graduated uh, tra- tax. Uh, this is a lot of saying tax and a lot of confusion, but the it's basically depending on the price of the home and the real estate transfer. The tax is is graduated, so it's not a flat tax. Look, if you're selling a, if you're selling a home for a million versus seven million, you shouldn't. You know, the, the argument being maybe you shouldn't have the same tax rate. Yeah. Do you think he's addressed the concerns of the of the uh, corporations that are also hit by that? Too? Well, right, because it's not just residential, right? right, um, right. I mean, I, I'm sure they're going to have a lot of pushback, right, because that's yeah. going to hit them hardest. I'm not sure that he has addressed them as far as I've seen. I don't know. What do you, right. what do you I, think? Right. Yeah, I think there's still concerns there, that, uh, and that'll probably be the big pressure point. Right, right. Let's move on to politics in the region. There were a lot of Democratic VIPs in town this week. What was going on, Carrie? So, um, as we all know, the DNC, uh, Chicago is no stranger to conventions, I think. Uh, your colleagues, Ray, at Tribune have reported, I think we've hosted the most of any other city, yeah, Republican yeah. and Dem- and, and yeah. even Republican ones, which you may be surprised <laughs> to know. Back to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, the this was kind of a, you know, this is a dual mission. Obviously, like you said, Vice President Harris was in town fundraising for the presidential reelection in 2024, but also... Big wigs, big money uh, folks were getting somewhat of a preview of what to expect uh, at the DNC next August, which will, I believe, in that clip with the house that Jordan built. I believe we're talking about the United Center yes. and then yeah. <laughs> the uh, McCormick Place on the near south side. And then, but one thing that they have said, and you know, DNC is saying this with all across the board, DNC committee, uh, convention committee, they are, they want, um, they're really trying to hit on diversity. So yeah. the big question is going to be, I think we heard in there, they went down to Bronzeville Winery. Um, the big question isn't going to be how, you know, where are the parties going to be? Where are the events going to be hosted? Will they go farther west than the United Center? Mm-hmm. And will they go farther south than Bronzeville or Hyde Park? You know, and see and really see you know, and experience the entire city. But also they were talking a lot about making sure that food vendors and other vendors, um, you know, that they're taking from minority owned businesses, as is, is they say, it's really important to them yeah. as well. So we'll see. Uh, Ray, weigh in there. What do you think the, the Democrats' main concerns are about Chicago as they plan for next August? Well, there's always the ghosts of 1968, of course. And um, that will be yeah. a play uh, in the national narrative here, as as you know. Uh, Mike Madigan, the longtime state Democratic chairman, will be on trial for corruption in April. So that is going to go a few weeks, and that's kind of a a run-up to the Democratic National Convention. Perhaps not the run-up you want. Yeah, right. So you've got Madigan, whose mentor was Richard J. Daley, and then you've got Daley in 1968, and so it's an easy arc for for folks to to make 
96, though, Richard M. Daly pulled it off, and it was a s- smart, well-run convention. Uh, sure, there were a f- few blips, but nothing that uh, even compares to the billy clubs and blood that uh, appeared in 68. Uh. I wrote about this this week. Um, yeah, like Ray says, 68, so everyone's always thinking about 68. Mm-hmm. But I think in, another thing that I and I think we all, in journalists here in Chicago, will be watching is Often when the national media helicopters in, um, I think I wrote that they sometimes do Chicago dirty and we don't like it. So Sometimes? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's going to, uh, I'm going to be looking out for how they're covering the city and covering all parts of our city and, you know, making sure, you know, they're covering our city with nuance and not just relying on hyperbole. Like, mm-hmm. this is the most violent city in the world and, you know, that's not true. And so... We'll be watching. Um, I'll be watching that as well. Um, also, just you know, this is just a logistical, maybe kind of boring for people. But you know, there's they've been building a brand new CTA stop. You know, the Green Line. Um, I know because I yeah. live on the West Side, so you know, Lake Street has been closed off. Uh, the Damon Green Line station is closest to the United Center. The Green Line goes straight down to McCormick Place. That better be up and running, which uh, CDOT told me this week it will be. It will be up and running next uh, spring. But, you know, the CTA has been a little, it's been a, it's been a hurdle since yeah. for the city since the pandemic. So um, we're going to have to make sure that trains and buses are running smoothly and that they're clean and, um, you know, and, and feel safe for conventioners. Tying this back to what we talked about earlier, one thing that Democrats are, are definitely starting to worry about it is how the migrant situation sure. Sure. could get worse leading up to the convention. By then, it'll be two years since that first busload right. arrived, right? And we just talked to Carrie, just talked about the, the plan to move migrants into these massive tents. What is what is that going to look like at the time? Well, you know, after they're worn down for a couple of years, who know. Uh, you know, there could be concerns that it's going to look like a Hooverville situation. Mm. But the reality is that I would gather that uh, Florida and Texas governors will be shipping extra busloads of migrants to uh, have them dumped off in front of of, of the house that Jordan built. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they'll do everything they can to try to diminish Chicago and the uh, DNC and President Biden uh, in, the, mm. in the one full swing. Sticking with you, Ray, Father Michael Flager, who uh, we know is the Southside Catholic priest and activist, uh, well, he made controversial comments about migrants and work permits, which has been in the news for the last couple of weeks. What did he say? Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, Sasha, as you know, there's a lot of conversation about migrants get here, then they don't have work permits, right. and thus they're kind of jammed up for six months or more, and it's a clog in the system. And Father Flager said, hey, you know, let's make sure that this is done right. So he took a piece of context that a lot of people aren't thinking about and expanded on it. And he said, if we rush these through, um, we may be setting up a situation where migrants are pushed into jobs that pay only $5 or so, or they could be taken advantage of, they work all day and then get paid a few dollars, or they could be taking jobs away from African-Americans who have been struggling to get jobs in this city and now have got them and some of them are 15 to $16 an hour and we don't want the migrants to undercut the jobs that it took so long to get. Mm. So uh, his, his uh, 
if you just listen to one sentence, let's wait on this and make make sure that we are doing it right before we uh, get work permits out. You may think, well, he just is not looking at the big picture, but actually he's looking at a larger picture. And he's responding to the fact that Mayor Johnson and Governor Pritzker, you know, joined forces, right, right, and trying right. to get uh, sort of fast track these yeah. these yeah. work permits. And Saint Sabina, where he uh, is pastor, also has. Uh, as many as 50 migrants uh, there in mm. his uh, facilities too so that, that's so. that's an important uh, point too what do you think Carrie does I mean do you think he raises an appropriate point there about the potential for migrant labor to be exploited well I mean I would say that you know all labor can be exploited so for perhaps or at least getting proper you know going through the government and you know there are day laborers all over our city that aren't, don't have proper protections um and that's not, not just about being unionized this you know that's that's lots of workers so and there are a lot of this is something that the restaurant industry as my colleague monica ang has been reporting has been pushing for um and as ray says without employment you uh, you it's harder to get residency because you don't have an, a permanent address to provide. It is, it's, this would move things forward mm-hmm. a bit. And that's kind of why the governor and the mayor, I think have been pushing. Um, but what Flager notes is what's we're seeing, like, as I said earlier, in the same issue of where to set up temporary shelters mm-hmm. and these tents, it's this battle of there are fine. We see this as finite resources in these communities, and if you're taking them for here, you're taking them from me, and it's hard to disagree with that for a lot of these communities that have been so disinvested in over the decades. And so, you know, I can. He's, you know, as Ray says, he's in Inglewood and Saint Sabina. I mean, this is maybe what he's hearing from his congregation. Well, also, Sasha, you got to remember about how uh, some of these migrants are, are treated and how they think they are being mistreated. As the 21-year-old Venezuelan woman uh, over in the 8th District in Chicago Lawn, West Lawn area mm-hmm. uh, protested and got arrested because she couldn't f- feel that they were getting enough uh, uh, bathroom facilities. And uh, it's not hard to understand that. They... Uh, the report, I think, Black Club reported that uh, they had locked yeah they were the they were sharing a single portable toilet outside for mm. days yeah yeah and uh, that they uh, put a sign that uh, the bathroom inside was not uh, available or had been had been uh, damaged somehow and they weren't available for use so you know let's treat the people right the they've walked through Venezuelan jungles to get here right. and to escape. Uh, persecution at home and we are supposed to be a welcoming city let's wear that label correctly yeah does it seem clear tensions are rising among migrants because of their lack of appropriate shelter up to this point i mean we have seen incidences i think the last time i was here we were talking about one maybe you know down by the harold washington library some of the migrants who'd been staying there around the corner um and then there were like 50 migrants staying at harold washington there seemed to be some sort of fight or scuffle there. There were also migrants there that were giving uh, haircuts. They were trying to make make a buck, and they were arrested for not having proper permits in the city uh, to conduct it. So yeah, I mean, this is what a humanitarian crisis is, right? If you don't, if people don't have their basic needs met, there's going, there are going to continue to be problems. And you know, as Ray says, there are we are a quote unquote welcoming city. However, there are some people who 
disagree yeah. that we should yeah. be a welcoming city <laughs> yeah. and yeah. even that we're True. actually practicing being a welcoming right. city. So, you know, yeah, I think those tensions are going to continue to it's flare. It's one of those deals where if you're going to talk the talk, then you ought to walk, walk the walk. Walk the walk, yeah, so, exactly. Um, you know, people disagree on uh, almost every point. This is a very big contentious point. Yep. Ray, this is why we called you. Uh, we're turning now to the <laughs> former chairman of the Democratic Party of Illinois. Your story about Madigan made national headlines. Well, this is one that we had uh, written about uh, in August, and uh, it was part of a uh, wrap-up to the Tim Mapes trial. This has several layers. Unfortunately, I'm going to go through them now. And, <laughs> and, uh, Anita, Sit tight, everyone. First, Anita Dunn. She is a Biden operative. She is a uh, person who worked for the the hotshot uh, SKDK uh, uh, PR firm Good in job D.C. getting those letters in the right Yeah, area. it took me a week. <laughs> um, and then uh, you notice I slowed down, too. And I, well, uh, anyway, she uh, worked with Madigan uh, to help him kind of clean up his uh, mess over sexual harassment where he had to toss several of his people for misbehaving and inappropriate behavior toward women. Then you have, uh, she was doing this in 2018 and 2019. Well, during that time period, Madigan was involved in a lawsuit uh, with Elena Hampton, who had really put the ball in motion on this whole sexual harassment mess with Madigan. She had uh, called out one of his lieutenants, Kevin Quinn, who is the brother of the alderman, 13th Ward Marty Quinn, um, and uh, Kevin Quinn had uh, been sending her a relentless string of inappropriate mm -hmm. emails okay. and uh, made inappropriate advances, and and uh, she uh, stood up and called him out, and then uh, she claimed later that she got blackballed uh, from Madigan's organization and sued over that. And uh, that was going on uh, while, and, and so so then here's the other layer. Uh, Elena Hampton was getting support from SKDK, mm -hmm. Anita Dunn's firm, and uh, this was in the form of getting help matching up PR help so that uh, a person like Elena Hampton gets swamped by, by uh, uh, press calls, frankly, and uh, needs PR help and uh, directing her message, etc., uh, and so we have these two layers of SKD going on at the same time. And this all happened to come out during the Tim Mapes trial in an email exchange that said uh, Madigan had hired SKDK and met with Anita Dunn. And this was like a revelation to Elena Hampton and her PR person, local uh, PR maven, Joanna Klonsky. And they uh, thought that this sounded like playing both sides of the issue. Mm -hmm. So uh, as a result, later this this week, we, we were pushing to do a deeper story. We, we wrote a few paragraphs and a bigger story about this and like a Sunday wrap up on the, on the trial in August and had, had mentioned all these conflicts, but we kept diving and digging and we eventually uh, kept asking questions to SKDK and this last week they, they apologized. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's uh, kind of a, uh, puts a new uh, 
light on their whole arrangement. Yeah, my goodness. Your thoughts, Carrie. I mean, how unethical was it, you think, for uh, this PR firm to work for both sides in well, this situation? Yeah, I was going to say at the least it seems like a conflict of interest because Elena Hampton was working. I think she was getting help through Time's Up, um, which is, you Time's know, Up Legal Defense, legal fund. defense yeah. Run, yeah. fund. And that is... Um, Time's up started coming out of uh, coming out of the many Me Too allegations. But yeah, how disappointing, you know, I mean, she she, like talk about the Madigan organization is very powerful, as as Ray's uh, book title says, the Velvet Hammer. Right. (laughs) And so she was kind of it was, a you know, David Goliath here. And so she needed she needed some help. And then I think also to maybe it would I don't I can't. I don't know how she feels, but I would feel like, wait, do you even really believe in what I'm trying to fight for here if you're actually playing the other side of it? Um, Do you believe in the justice that I am owed? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's really disappointing. And Anita Dunn's a big name. She's been around for a long time. I think she's definitely been around since Obama. She currently advises President Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, some some might say her work for, for Madigan undercut the Me Too movement, as we've been talking about. So I'm, I'm also curious how damaging you think this is for the president. Well, I, I think uh, they wanted to get rid of it. I mean, I tried to get a hold of Anita Dunn. I tried to get some comment from the White House. Mm-hmm. They didn't give me any. Uh, a cl- good source close to Madigan said he was unaware of this uh, conflict. Who, mm-hmm. But the, th- the key thing here, I think, is that uh, SKDK did not disclose to opposite ends of the sexual harassment issue that they were working on these two different issues right. and there is overlap yeah so republicans you think they'll jump on this uh, i think they'll throw it in into uh, a variety of of their you know onslaught against I Biden, and say. you know <laughs> it'll be in the mixer somewhere it'll get in there somewhere national republicans that might be even a little in the weeds for them but also i'm <laughs> sure that uh many republicans like to just say madigan and that's yeah. it for them. Well, you know <laughs> elena hampton said if she had known this if she had known right. this she would not have signed up for the money from time's up legal defense fund which skdk helped get for her I want to switch gears here a bit. Libraries throughout the city and suburbs, they had to close on Tuesday and then again yesterday. Ray, this is super scary stuff. Tell us what happened. Well, it's some uh, digital threat that they got that uh, was a bomb threat. And so this is something that you can't ignore. You can, uh, And so uh, they shut down libraries all over the city. They shut down them in the suburbs, many suburbs. And um, it's too bad because people need libraries. And the whole uh, thing is coming to a head after uh, we have a, a ban on funds from uh, that was passed by a, a champion by Alexei Giannoulias, uh, the Secretary of State here in Illinois, who said, uh, you know, if you're going to ban books, um, we're not going to send you state funds. Mm-hmm. And so that has mushroomed. He spoke, as you have noted, to the U.S. Senate uh, committee and uh, about his plan. And uh, these threats started rolling out here uh, shortly after he spoke. It's kind of sad. Yeah, the time- Timing here, Carrie. I, I know that, um, you know, as Ray said, he was testifying to Congress 
uh, and some Senate people, Judiciary Committee, correct? Yeah. Right, yeah, and and some folks may wonder the connection. Yeah, he he's actually the official state librarian. He's a state librarian. Oh, a yes. lot of people don't yes. re- didn't, yeah. don't realize that the state. Yeah, that's yeah. part of the Secretary of State's many duties. It's not just the DMV, as he will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We actually talked to uh, Secretary Janulius. Uh, we had an Axios event on Wednesday. He was, you know, he had basically just come from those hearings, which moments of which went viral. I'll let you look them up yourselves um, on that from the uh, Senator John Kennedy. Not that one, obviously, uh, in Louisiana had some had some interesting moments with the secretary. And, you know, what he told us is what he told you guys, I think, the last hour. He is a child of immigrants and the library was where you went to learn and this was free and available to you. And he said, as a parent, this became a very critical issue for him. And, you know, I, I heard him say to you guys, he's it's, he's depressed about it. Like, it yeah. just seems it seems very sad. So and he did say as he was on the plane coming back from the hearing he started hearing about these threats at libraries. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, talked about Illinois becoming the first state in the nation to essentially ban book bans, which goes into effect on the 1st of January. Here's a little bit more of what he had to say to me earlier this uh, this morning. This right to read legislation will remove, hopefully, the goal is to remove pressure that librarians have, have tragically had to endure over the, the last couple of years. And again, this legislation that we passed is important because both the concept and the practice of banning books contradicts the very essence of what our country stands for. It also defies what education is all about, teaching our children to think for themselves. Yeah, so as we've talked about the legislation, I mean, libraries, essentially they would be ineligible for state grants, right, if if they do ban materials um, for personal disapproval or... Partisan. Yeah, yeah, correct. And, you know, something the secretary says is, you know, and I think your Kelly uh, Jensen said this the last hour, too. You know, m- a majority of these books that are challenged, they're not always banned, that are challenged are LGBTQ plus books. And something the secretary makes a point of is, you know, there are kids that do need to see themselves represented in literature. We have um, sad, sad, horrific numbers of suicides in LGBTQ teens. So um, some sort of validation and representation of who they are in the books that they're reading in the library. I mean, the other thing is librarians are not forcing kids to read these. They're not throwing them at them and saying, you have to read these, you know, I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird has a, has a rape scene in it. You know, I mean, this, this, that's what literature is. That's what culture is. It represents our culture, the ugly parts too. So um, he's not saying that these have to be <laughs> highlighted and say you have to read these. Um, but you know, I think it's I think it's an important fight that he's it doing. Be available for consumption. Absolutely. So I mean, these calls for book bans, as we've talked about, right? They're on the rise, and it's not just here. It's happening across the country. So I'm curious if you are concerned that we are going to see more of these extreme tactics. I think that's a an approach rather yeah bomb threats are those are kind of ridiculous and uh you know they're not the kind of thing that uh really courageous people do um and they're not really making a point other than shutting down a lot of of uh people's opportunity to to do their own studies to reach out and get a book um and so uh, I think it, it's a thoughtful a- approach to uh, this. Uh, uh, Julia Nullius plan is a thoughtful approach to counter that. Mm. We've also seen the the issue of 
many more people running for library yes. district yes. and uh, really? taking an, a, and school a boards, conservative yeah. uh, uh, approach that, you know, banning some of these books are part of their agenda. And same thing for school right. boards because they want to get uh, taught in schools what they think should be taught only, not a, a broad array of topics ranging from, you know, slavery to Right. Um, how we denied civil rights over the years to people. All right, Ray, switching gears. What a disastrous kickoff to the football season last Sunday against the Packers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are I, you worried for the Bears? Uh, I'm always worried for the Bears, <laughs> although I think they may have freed up my Sunday afternoons for right. the rest of the season. I, I, you know, it, it was a, a, a lot of bad play calling, a lot of... Uh, hesitance by the guy we all want to do well, Justin Fields. But, you know, I even was questioning why they they didn't punt after, on fourth down in their very first series when they're deep inside uh, Green Bay's territory. It was just nutty. I mean, are deep inside, deep in, close to Green Bay's goal line. And so they uh, made multiple mistakes. They fell behind early because the punt was didn't work out for him and you know the numbers just came up 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 and I was like tweeting out well uh, are the Bears going to give us anything to watch the rest of the season now that we're in the in the fourth or in the third quarter where's the love well you know I kind of fair weathered out a couple of years ago I think (laughs) oh my goodness Uh, all right, Carrie, before we go, um, we do have uh, a local media story that Axios broke this morning. Can you give us the details? Yeah, it's I mean, I, I'm not so sure it's sort of a breaking. It's more just a, you know, calling attention to um, my colleagues, Monica Ang and Justin Kaufman reported this out about uh, Chicago Tonight, which is the longtime flagship local public affairs show on um, WTTW, uh, PBS, has has been truncated essentially and you know it was an hour it used to be an hour ray you probably remember i don't mean to age you but john calloway was the host of it for a long time phil ponce bob surratt there's been quite a few hosts now uh paris shuts and brandis friedman hosted who are great they have a fantastic reporting um friends of the recap yeah yeah fantastic politics team over there but basically um they the schedule has moved around it they moved it to 10 p.m i recall a few yeah. months ago and then they moved it up to 5 30 p.m with reruns at 10 p.m so you know this is not a this is not a secret we know this in radio i used to work in radio and programming you uh when you change appointment listening or viewing it can it messes with it can mess with the ratings because right. people get a little bit confused so now uh chicago tonight the latest is that um it will be the original chicago tonight shorter 30 minutes instead of an hour mm-hmm. will be monday and tuesdays and then um chicago tonight latino voices chicago tonight black voices will be on wednesdays and thursdays and then the weekend review will continue uh to be on fridays and you know management said there were you know expenses at play i think probably some you know and people were honest like um carol marine a revered reporter um and journalist in chicago who used to host on chicago tonight yeah so this is a bad idea to cut to cut chicago tonight because it was 
much like public radio, you know, people go to hear interviews with politicians there that aren't just a soundbite because mm-hmm. you have more time and right. the politician is on your TV. It's hard for he or she to evade you so much. Um, so, you know, losing any sort of that uh, content is oh, yeah. not good for the public. Well, as regular listeners of Reset and of the, the weekly news recap know, we normally actually have three journalists here with us on Fridays. Today, obviously, we have two, just Carrie and Ray. That's because we did have a Chicago Tonight reporter scheduled to be here. That was our third guest. Uh, But WTTW did pull them from being able to join us this morning after this news broke. So, Ray, I got to turn to you. You've been a regular guest on that program. Um, Thoughts on this and how it might reflect... Yeah, Local media. Uh, since you've already exposed my age here, Carrie, I've, I've been. <laughs> Sorry, Ray. I, I, yeah, I've been on it that since the 1990s, and uh, even recently, uh, you know, where they're doing a great job with Paris uh, Schutz uh, having his weekly show. Um, it makes a difference. People need to hear this. A lot of people aren't reading newspapers. A lot of people aren't listening to Reset uh, every every time. They should be, obviously. Uh, I hope they are, obviously. But, but, um, you know, the less news that's out there in this confused world today, when uh, a lot of people are questioning what a fact is, we need more. And we need more people explaining it. And that's what that's what they did. I think this is, you know, a management snafu. If they have uh, less money coming in, it may be they're of their own making. Maybe they ought to be cutting up instead of cutting down. Hmm. Do we know if anyone's losing their job with this change at WTTW? That I don't know. And I don't know that um, I don't want to speak for my colleagues and the reporting they're doing that. Uh, but that I don't know of. And I'm not sure that they know that either. Um, that's not something I've heard, at least just from, you know, these being TTW people yeah. being my colleagues. And- well, in the last minute that I have with you too, talk to us about What's going on next week? What are you focused on? What stories are on your radar? You first, Carrie. I have some fun ones. So, Lori, let's talk fun stuff. I have some good fun stuff uh, actually planned. I have an interview with um, scheduled for Monday with Matthew Cherry. You may remember Matthew Cherry is a filmmaker who did oh, yes. Hair Love, yeah, yes. which won a uh, Oscar for Best Short Film. Uh, Matthew Cherry has a new Chicago-based show called Young Love. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, so I'm actually getting to talk to him next week, which I think is great. And okay, then, I'm jealous. And then I also interviewed, this is kind of fun, the Cubs organist about some of the most requested songs of the organist <laughs> and what he is what he cannot absolutely cannot oh, play so to, so stay tuned for that we'll look out for that that is very very cool Cubs assignments. are actually still in contention this weekend super actually. fun assignments Harry. <laughs> what about you ray take well, us home well i'll be looking for the cubs to see if they stay in contention <laughs> right, and right. i'll be looking to see if i can last four quarters in the in the bears i didn't quite make it last week so uh you know there's a few other things that are cooking uh, okay. maybe it'll pop up in the paper all right. Well, we'll leave it there. Chicago Driven investigative reporter Ray Long and Carrie Shepard of Axios. Thank you both. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrea Guthman and edited by Dan Tucker and Brenda Ruiz. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great weekend and look out for a bonus podcast tomorrow morning.